is the most significant day and time in eternity. It's the day that was the culmination of all that Jesus Christ had come to do. So I'm just going to invite um, Andrew Webb if he would just share a poem that he's written because he's thought about this and captured something of it in words and I just wanted to ask him to share it with us. called this poem Burden because that's the burden that Christ took on you're one of them you're one of who follow him screeching strident voice rent the darkness I am not I swear I am not you are I saw you you walked beside him only yesterday the voice insisted you are mistaken, woman. I don't even know who he is. Leave me alone. Other voices picked up the cry. You're one of them. You are one of the troublemakers. A quavering response, breaking and sobbing in shame. I am not, I tell you. I do not know his name. And the cock crowed into the dawning light. Crucify him! Crucify him! A roar from the unruly crowd. Patience, passions, inflamed by the priest. Hiss, crack! Hiss, crack! The brutal song of the lash. Skin tearing. Blood spurting, grunts and cries of pain, soldiers sweating and gasping from exertion cut him down and let him slump into the dust, bleeding and broken. They pulled him to his feet and pushed the cross up onto his shoulders, a huge pole Ruffy hewn from a tree, lashed across him so it could not fall. Forced him, whip and club, through jeering crowds to the gate. And the crowds grew silent, one by one as he passed. Ever-growing screams of pain as the nails were driven in. A roar of unbearable pain as his feet were pierced and fastened. The cross was raised upon the hill, gathered crowds laughing with each scream he uttered, and he hung there from the cursed tree in his naked shame. All day he hung there, growing ever weaker, yet somehow the crowd sensed something was drawn into him. With barely a whisper, he croaked some words and took his last breast last breath. The crowd grew silent. A thousand ears strained to hear those tortured words. Boom! Boom! Crack! A great earthquake buckled and rent the earth, throwing people to the floor. Thunder and lightning overhead, lighting a dreadful scene. 
invading the temple, smashing into the Holy of Holies, ripping the huge cloth from top to bottom, the priest standing aghast. And a thousand ears heard the words. It is finished. The darkest places known to humankind are found in space, and they're called black holes. They're described as so dark that any light nearing it in their vicinity is sucked in and cannot escape. And we think of them as having no light at all. Well, a speaker I heard recently was telling about how he had a conversation with an astronomer on the topic of black holes. And the astronomer said that contrary to the idea that there's no light in a black hole, light does exist there. And that came as a surprise, and, and here is how he explained it. Can you see the light? Can you see the light? Can you see it? Can you see it? Is there light? when there's nothing to reflect off it? Yes, we just don't see it because there's nothing to reflect off it, but there is still light. You know, it's, it's a little bit like Good Friday. Good Friday is a sad time in the story of Jesus. He experienced his darkest hours and for the Jewish people at that time, they felt the darkness of thinking that this person who was going to rescue them from their Roman rulers, had failed. Spiritually, this was the darkest of places because even God the Father turned his back on Jesus because he could not look on the sin that he bore for us. In this darkest of moments in history, it appeared that no light could be found. No hope could be seen. It was the greatest anticlimax and the greatest darkness for Jesus for his followers, and for everyone that he died for. And yet, even in that darkest of places, there was light. Yeah. Maybe a small flickering one, but there was light. Jesus' body may have died, but his spirit could not be put out. Yeah. A light shone in that darkest of places, and despite the utter despair of the crushed dreams and ambitions of the people who followed Jesus, there was still a flickering hope held in the heart of Jesus. No one could see it, but the light was there, waiting for the day when hope would burst forth from the grave. So that's our theme, folks. There's light in the darkness. And there'll be stages in all of our lives when we've seen that, that come true, light in the darkness. You may be going through something even today, um, and I want to say that there is light. There's light in the darkness. Yeah. 
and it's, it's something that can bring great hope. We're going to just watch a little bit of a clip now um, that's, uh, we're going to take up an offering, um, and it's a special offering about slavery, about stopping slavery. And as part of the Baptist movement, we have a, um, a group that run SAS, Stand Against Slavery. So if we can just watch that clip or something of it, um, and I'll just continue to speak and give you a little bit of information. Peter Mihari was the um, national director of our missions organization, but he felt called of God to, to um, start something that would work not only in overseas countries, but also in our own country to mobilize people to realize that slavery exists in every country. And there are people in New Zealand who are, who are in virtual slavery situations as well, trapped um, by other human beings. And so this offering um, is for Peter's work. Let's just watch. What if every young girl was a princess, every young lad was a king? What if every breath was a free one? They got to choose how they might live. Think of the dreamers, the wide-eyed believers the world might see. Imagine the healing, the wholehearted feeling the world so Every person knew they mattered Things might change before able to just have that just quietly going in the back please Glenn um, to take the baskets across um, if you would have not come today but you'd like to be able to give to this you can do so on Sunday you just need to um, make sure that you label it very clearly that that's what it's for but Peter's someone that's just stood up into the into the darkness and has become a reflector of the light and the work that he's doing is, is um, very significant overseas, but he's also had success even here in New Zealand of raising the profile, speaking to government, 
and uh, seeing prosecutions take place. Friends, this morning what we want to do is to, to build upon uh, this aspect of light and the darkness by just talking about the, the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. There were seven sentences that he, he um, spoke. And I've got some young men who are going to come up and help me, two Ethans, Sam and Jaden, if you can come up and the first one just get ready to be able to speak. And they'll bring those scriptures up for us. But what I, what I want us to remember is that no word Jesus said on the cross was wasted or extra. What we need to remember is that his, his back is completely lacerated by the whipping. Probably his internal organs are exposed from the back view. And now he's against a rough wooden cross. And the only way he can speak, because his lungs are completely collapsed, is to push on his feet and to pushes lacerated back up the cross and to gasp in a few breaths and then sink back down again that just carried on and on and he can only speak as he's standing on his toes um, pushing on his feet at least and gasping that in and and so he's only got this very short moment to speak there's no extra words every single word that's spoken is really really important and all of this was to save us all of this from ourselves. All of this was to show how much he loves us. And so I want to look at these words in relation to how much love God has for us. And also his claim to be God. So can we have the first scripture that was the first words that Jesus said on the cross? Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgiven them for they do not know what they are doing. How amazing. You know, the hardest command that Jesus gave was to love our enemies. And now he was doing it. He was fulfilling the law where we can't. It's extremely hard to love your enemies. And he's doing it not at the beginning of the torture when it's not as bad and he's not sure whether he's still going to love them at the end. He's already a third of the way through torture that would kill him and he forgives them. I mean, that is, is just incredible. He's, he's hung up between heaven and earth. He's exposed. He's naked. He's vulnerable. He's been ridiculed. He's been beaten. And yet he forgives the people that are doing these things. It is the act of a God. And it's the act of a God of love. Now the second one. 
Luke answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Well done. A criminal cries out from the cross next to Jesus. And Jesus himself is dying. And he speaks to him with the authority of God. These are not the words of a deceived man who's himself been found out and now he's facing torturous, a torturous death. So he's cursing and he's, he's saying, why did I ever dream up this harebrained scheme to try and deceive people? These words are a clear statement that Jesus was who he said he was. He said he was God and he spoke as God even in death. And he's making statements about eternity. And he forgives one who deserved nothing but punishment right at that moment. And he gives him everything in the last moments of his life. And it makes us wonder, doesn't it, how many people have cried out to God in the last moments of their life. It actually gives us hope for people that we don't know the answers to. Perhaps a relative of yours I believe there'll be more in heaven than we think. And the third scripture. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So Joseph, Jesus, if we could say adopted dad, was dead. And Jesus, the eldest son, is dying. And this is a statement of personal love and care, even in his worst moment. And his love is such that he's thinking about his mother and how how will she live. So we too can trust the personal love that Jesus has for the details of our lives. Mark 13, 15. I mean, Mark fifteen thirty three to 34. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, why, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is what the cross was actually about at the core. Three hours of darkness, illustrating the deep darkness of sin being placed upon Jesus Christ. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became our sin. At this point, all the wrongdoing of all people from all time came upon Jesus. And the darkness illustrates the magnitude of what the Father was doing to Jesus spiritually. He was punishing him. And immediately there was a separation between Father God and God the Son and God the Spirit. A separation in the Trinity that had never, ever occurred in eternity before or will again. And the cost and the pain of that, we can actually only speculate. But how much love for human beings does our God have to do that for us? Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So this statement has great irony. The one who offered living water 
The one John called the, the life giver needs his thirst quenched. What it shows us is that Jesus was totally spent. What Jesus did to be able to forgive people wasn't in any way trivial. It required every ounce of everything he had to be able to complete it. And he'd done it. And now he was completely used up and needed that drink. Josh 1930, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. So this is a pretty informative statement, folks, as the three words in English there are actually one Greek word, which means it is fulfilled. It's just fulfilled. The price, the cost, the mission has been completed. The total bill for sin was paid at that moment. It was the work of God motivated by incredible love. There's an old hymn that puts it this way, and it says, the love of God is greater far than tongue of men can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, and it reaches to the lowest hell. And try as we might, we can't say enough words. There aren't enough thoughts in our brains to be able to understand the magnitude the size, the depth, the height, the breadth of Jesus' love for people, us. Luke twenty three forty six. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Very good. Hey, can we thank the, the boys for this morning? Thanks, Don, for organizing that. So this is the last statement Jesus said. I want you to notice that Jesus submitted to death. He, death did not control him. It didn't decide the time. He chose his final moment. And the scriptures reveal to us that he died of a broken heart that his aorta artery ripped off the top of his heart because of the symptoms when the spear went in of what um, the water, then the blood flowing out, um, show. And at that very moment, as was so graphically read by Andrew, there was an earthquake that ripped the ground apart. And in the Holy of Holies, the temple that symbolized the presence and place of God, the curtain ripped from top to bottom, not as a human would do it at the bottom and try to rip it across, but as a God would do it at the top and rip it down, symbolizing that man now had access to the Father. Can I invite you just to stand and we're going to worship a little more. Good cross. 
Thank you.